This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture that was read earlier came from the book of Ezekiel, the 47th chapter, and the reading was from the first through the sixth verses. But let's read it one more time together so that we can be on the same page. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. Sometimes I wonder, is it okay for people to say whatever they want to anyone, no matter how offensive that might be? Perhaps. Is it okay for people to do what they want to anyone, no matter how offensive that might be? Perhaps. Is it okay for people to say whatever they want to you, no matter how that might make you feel? Perhaps. And is it okay for people to do whatever they want to you, no matter how that might make you feel? Perhaps. Sometimes I just wonder. But as I ponder these things, particularly in terms of the kinds of things that we are now seeing in our society, I'm forced to ask these same questions in another way. Here's what I mean. Is it okay for people to say whatever they want to God, no matter how irreverent that might be? Is it okay for people to do whatever they want in the name of God, no matter how unholy that might be? You see, these questions take on a different level of significance when we make God the subject of the inquiry. And as we take into consideration this kind of attitude that we have with God, is it any surprise that we are not experiencing the fullness of all that God has for us in our lives? Mm. Our relationships with each other are crumbling, and so too is our relationship with God. Because we fail to realize that God has a standard. And whenever we fall short of that standard, we will always miss the best that God has for us. So today I want to talk about that standard and what it means for us to live in the 
fullness of the Holy Spirit. As such, I'll speak a message I have titled as an imperative, level up. Level up. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you now that we've come to the preaching hour. Lord, you know what I have prepared, but Lord, it is only what you want delivered that truly matters. Let people not be wowed or swayed by articulation of speech or eloquence of words, but let the words be peppered with the lightning bolt of your Holy Spirit that it may penetrate the heart no matter how callous it may be. Open up their hearts and their minds, Lord, to the truth of your word. And may they find themselves as they find you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to make a statement that needs to be made in the church so that there is no ambiguity, confusion, or misunderstanding. And that statement is simply this. Every believer in Jesus Christ has received the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's it. That's it. Every believer in Jesus Christ has received the Holy Spirit. No matter how you may think about yourself or how you may feel about yourself, whether you consider yourself a good Christian or a backsliding Christian, a cafeteria Christian or a devout Christian, every person that publicly confesses faith in Jesus Christ and believes in his finished work has received the Holy Spirit and is saved. Now with that being said, after receiving the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit works within us in such a way that over time we become less selfish and more caring. We become less greedy and more generous. We become less angry and more forgiving, less demanding and more compassionate, less worldly and more spiritual. In other words, we become more Christ-like in our daily walk along life's journey, which is, by the way, the vision of this church, conforming to Christ to transform the world. Amen. Yet, there are some, even in our own Christian circles, who would have you believe that even after you have received the gift of salvation, that there is still a little more that you have to do in order to earn God's favor. Well. My brothers and my sisters, if there ever was a destructive lie from the pit of hell, that would be it. Mm. Salvation is a free gift. You cannot earn it, you don't deserve it, and after receiving it, you cannot lose it. Mm. If you have given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, and have made a commitment to following his commandments through faith, then you are free from the penalty of sin, and to whom the sun sets free is free indeed. God is not a man that he should lie. Amen. But while salvation is a gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ, where the only requirement is that you just believe, believe it is true that you still have to work out your salvation. What this means is that you do not work for salvation, you work 
because of salvation. And to the extent that you are committed to your faith, then you will have the empowering that comes with the Holy Spirit. That empowering, I hope you're hearing me, that empowering that I'm talking about, we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And its main purpose is to use you and me in whatever capacity to be effective witnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. I know I've just said a lot of words. So let me make it as plain as I can. When you confess faith in Jesus Christ and believe that he is God's only begotten son, then at that moment you receive the Holy Spirit and you are saved. After you have been saved, your appetite starts to change and what you find is that you start to live more for the things of God, but it is still a daily and a constant struggle. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But every now and then, an opportunity presents itself for you to share what God has done in your life. And when those opportunities arise, the Holy Spirit gives you an extra boost of divine adrenaline and divine confidence. And that boost is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens when you find yourself in such a unique position with a very unique responsibility that allows you to accomplish something for the kingdom of God. I hope you're still tracking with me. It will cause people, when you have done this thing, to be in awe and wonder, and God is glorified, and the good news is spread. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're able to do something that you would not normally be able to do, and somehow the good news of God is, is given, and God is glorified through you yeah. in some way. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the most popular biblical example of when this occurred was when the disciples were gathered together, as you recall, in one place, and they were on what? All on one accord. Then suddenly, like a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit fell upon those disciples, and they began to speak in other languages and other tongues, and they were speaking them so well that even the people who could understand them marveled and became converts themselves and followed Jesus. The disciples were in a unique position, and when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came, they were able to accomplish a task that caused awe and wonder. The gospel, the good news was spread, and those people got saved. But before that happened, they were all gathered together in one place, and they were all on one accord. They were not double-minded and they were not distracted. They did not say whatever they wanted to. They did not do whatever they wanted to. They did not present themselves however they wanted to God. They were not irreverent to God. They knew their boundaries. They knew that God had a standard. And whenever God's standard is met, hear me church, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Isn't that what the text tells us? If you're familiar with the Bible, that's what it says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Everything in the kingdom of God is about your witness. How are you living your life in such a way that somebody knows that God is good? Are you living your life in such a way that when people see you, they're either curious about the joy and the peace that you have and want to know about it, even in the midst of difficult news? Yes. 
To make it quite plain, the disciples were able to experience the fullness of all that God had for them because of their attitude towards God. In other words, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they had met the standard in order to level up. The term level up comes from the gaming, video gaming community. And it literally means to gain enough points in a game, enabling a player to go up to a higher level, gaining more skills or strength. Leveling up is what happens when you are playing, like I said, a video game, and after you have mastered all the tasks within a certain stage, you are then qualified to go to the next stage or the next level. In other words, unless you have met all the requirements at one level, you cannot progress to the next level. Now, the most important thing to note here, brothers and sisters, is that each level has its own standard. And once that standard is established, if it is not met, you will not be able to progress to the next level. It's just that simple. And most things in life follow that same principle. For example, you can't, or at least you shouldn't, advance to middle school unless you have met the standard of kindergarten. You can't advance to high school unless you've met the standard of middle school. You shouldn't advance to college unless you have met the standard for high school. You can't get a decent job sometimes unless you have met the standard for college and so on. As a matter of fact, I like this. You can't get promoted at work unless you've mastered the standard for the job you have. So the problem we see in our society is that today everyone wants a promotion, but no one wants to meet the standard. Come on, preacher. Come on, preacher. And what's true in the world, quite sadly, has become true in the church as well. well. You shouldn't be an usher if you have not met the standard of being saved. Come on, you shouldn't be a missionary if you have not met the standard of being saved. You shouldn't be a steward, you shouldn't be a trustee, you shouldn't be a pastor, you shouldn't be a presiding elder, and you shouldn't be a bishop unless you have met the standard of being saved. Mm. Notice for every role that I just described in the church, there was only one standard. And that standard is the measure for every role and every function, and that standard is salvation. It matters not if you're a bishop or an usher, for God is no respecter of person. And since he is the one that sets the standard, he is the only one that can judge whether or not any of us has met that standard. Yes, and when you have met God's standard, then you are ready to level up. So now, what does all of this have to do with our text in Ezekiel, what does the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all of what I've just disclosed have to do with our text in Ezekiel? I am so glad you asked. So let's revisit the text one more time. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down under the south side, from under the south side of the temple south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits 
and led me through water that was knee-deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. Hmm. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross. Here are the steps so we have context. Ezekiel was having a vision. And in that vision, God showed him the temple. In the vision, Ezekiel saw water now trickling from the south of the temple towards the eastern gate of the temple. Now there was a man with a measuring line in his hand, like a tape measure, if you will. And as he measured off a thousand feet from the eastern gate of the temple, the level of the water was no longer a trickle, but now it was at Ezekiel's ankle. The man measured another thousand cubits, and the level of the water had risen to the point where Ezekiel was in knee-deep water. And you know the story. He kept going. Now it was at Ezekiel's waist. Finally, the man measured off another thousand cubits, and the water had become a river that was so deep, no one could cross it. And before the man led Ezekiel to the bank of the river, he asked him, what did you see? The picture painted here, brothers and sisters, is a metaphor for what happens to each and every one of us when we are saved. When we first come to faith in Jesus Christ, it was because we got a glimpse of God's holy temple. We could see it, but, but now to experience it... <laughs> no, no, let, let, let me make sure that you all can understand where I'm going because this is good stuff. <laughs> you see, we see the temple. We don't understand it. We don't know its meaning, but we cannot deny what we see, feel, and experience. You come to church and something stirs in your spirit and you go, wow, I've seen something now. I don't know what it is, but I see something now. You've seen the glory of the Lord. But as we remain curious... We are led into the flow of that river to the point where, where we start to not just see the river, but now to experience it. But it is at a level that is only ankle deep. Because we're not quite ready to receive more than that. This is what it means to be saved. It means to have made a commitment to step into the river of life. But you are not yet in the flow of the river until you are at least a thousand cubits away from the temple. Whoa. But as we continue to allow ourselves to be led, we move another thousand cubits to the point where we experience the river at the knee-deep level. And then we move another thousand cubits and we are at the waist-deep level. At each of these levels, there is much more. <laughs> Listen, brothers and sisters. There is so much more I can teach about these individual levels in terms of their significance. But suffice it to say, each of these levels has something observable. Here's one. The man in the vision is the one doing the leading. It's number one. Number two, you only move from one level to the next after you have moved a thousand cubits. Number three, the further you move away from the temple, the deeper the river gets. Finally, you only move if you stay in the river. Here's the spiritual significance of these four observations. The river represents the flow of the Holy Spirit. 
And the flow of that Holy Spirit is moving in a direction that is independent of you and your ideas. What you think should or shouldn't be. The river has no respect for what you think or where you think it should be going. All the river does is that it sustains life in everything that is both in it or near it. Are you with me? Whenever you and I get into the flow of that river, our lives begin to make more sense, and we seem to be moving in a direction that is both exciting and invigorating. Being in the flow of the river is when God now starts to connect the dots in your life, and your passion and your purpose burns with a desire for more and more of Him. You become hungry for the things of God that anything outside of his will begins to cause you tremendous frustration. In fact, that's why Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus is speaking specifically to the hunger that comes when you're flowing in the river of the Holy Spirit. And the more hungry and thirsty you get is the more likely you are to be led another 1,000 cubits. This is why the man in the text had a measuring line which he used to determine that the standard has been met. Are you with me? If the standard hadn't been met, you do not move any further down the river. Simply put, every thousand cubits represented God's standard. And when that standard is met, Ezekiel could level up. But as Ezekiel moved further and further away from the temple, the river got deeper, meaning he was relying less on the temple that was providing a trusting source for where the river was taking him. In other words, in lay terms, what I'm saying is simply this, church. The deeper you are in the Spirit, the more you are led by the Spirit, the less you depend on the church. I think that missed you. Let me say that one more time. As Ezekiel moved further and further away from the temple, the deeper and deeper the river got. Right? And what was happening was the river was now taking him and he relied less on the security and the safety of the temple or the church and relied more upon the flow of the spirit. Mm. Far too many of us look to the church to guide us when we should be mature enough to let the spirit guide us instead. Sure, the church is a good place to start. But at some point, you need to move beyond simply depending on the church and start depending on God Amen. for yourself. You have to mature in the faith. You have to grow up. It's why Paul says you no longer should be taking milk, but you should be eating meat. That's what Paul is talking about. This is why years after years of being in the church, many of us have only experienced ankle-deep or knee-deep deliverance. So I share with you that the spiritual significance of Ezekiel's vision is about our journey of salvation and progressing from ankle deep to knee deep to waist deep level in the faith. But I did not yet speak of the river being so deep that it could not be crossed. At this level, Ezekiel could drown in the river. At this level, Ezekiel has no control 
over what happens next. At this level, Ezekiel is not his own. This level is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a time where in a Christian believer's life when he, is he or she is fully surrendered to God in such a way that you can't say whatever you want to anyone. You can't <laughs> say whatever you want to God. And you can't do whatever you want to anyone and you can't do whatever you want in the name of God. In the uncrossable river of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you receive the fullness of the Spirit, which brings a strong desire to witness, which may come through prophesying, tongue speaking, confession, prayer, or some kind of manifestation that brings God glory. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that river for you, but it is for the advancement of God. It is not for you to show everybody how amazing you are and that you can speak in a tongue that nobody understands. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for you to just have the power to lay hands on people and all of a sudden they're healed. That may happen. You may speak in tongues. You may, but at the end of the day, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about God enabling you to do something that is not within your control and something that brings glory to God and benefits his people. Too many of us in the church, and I'm talking about myself and all of us in the pulpit, think that God's people are here for our benefit. You're not here to benefit me. I am here so that I can be an instrument of God's grace into your life so you can remain encouraged and not discouraged, so that you can remain faithful and not faithless, so that you can walk with a God that tells you that I am with you even though you walk through the valleys of the shadows of death. You will fear no evil for I am with you. My rod and my staff, they comfort you. But we are, we are raising a church, a group of people in the church that believe that you need the church. You don't need the church. You need God. The church is only a vehicle through which you get to the God. When you may be suffering a little bit, when you may be struggling a little bit, where your faith may be challenged in some areas where you don't really understand what's going on, the church becomes a place where you can go to reconnect to God and be put right back into the river of his flow. Many Christians are walking around out of the river and wondering what happened. Where is God in my life? Brothers and sisters, the truth is it is only in the river that we can have the rest and the satisfaction that our souls crave. Yeah. We look for satisfaction with everything else that the world has to offer, and it does not work. So the church and the pulpit has to be the agents that tell you this is what you need. You don't need to come to church. You need to be the church. The quickest way to get to your deliverance and to your salvation is not me laying hands on you, but you laying hands on someone else who has a greater need than you. And somehow in your meeting the needs of other people, God will send the hand for you. This is how it works. It's about advancing God's kingdom, one believer at a time, but doing it in such a way, in such a way that God's kingdom advances and he gets the glory. <laughs> it is only in the river 
that our eager, greedy, restless souls can find their satisfaction. But you need to surrender your will. The last thing I will share comes at the end of the text, which says, He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, what do you see? Do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. It is important to understand, my brothers and sisters, that it is not easy to remain in the uncrossable river and that anything can take you out of it. As I said before, it is only in the river that you find true peace, but sin in our lives will always keep you out of the flow of the river. The level of our soul's health determines the health of our relationships with each other and with God. So if your soul's health on a scale of 1 to 10 is at a level 5, if your soul's health is at a level 5, then a level 5 is the healthiest relationship that you can have with anyone. In fact, level 1, using my, my scale, level 1 would be ankle-deep health. And a level 10 is the uncrossable river level. So what kind of relationship? do you want to have with God? Do you want a level one or a level 10? You have to answer that question for yourself. What kind of relationship do you want with God? Well, if your desire is to have a level 10 healthy soul, then you need to know that you have to take a hard look at the choices you are making and make the necessary adjustment. If you're not experiencing the hunger for the things of God like you used to, then you have to remember that it was not God who changed, but you. It's you. And right now, many of us, we need to what? Level up. Right now, you need to level up by taking control of your thoughts and your imaginations and develop a healthy mindset. Invest in your own personal growth and study and learn God's word. Too many of us sometimes, and I, I'm really hard on us in the pulpit, by the way, but too many of us have a, spent so much time trying to entertain and getting people to, to go, yay! Meanwhile, they learn nothing, and your lives are the same. I want you to be better, because the better you are is the better I will be. Our worship environment is to create a river that none of us can swim in, but that all of us can follow and let the river take us where it goes. Develop some healthy habits and routines. Some things is not what you need to start doing, but some things are what you need to stop doing. Amen. So my brothers and my sisters, it's a hard message, I know, but it's a sobering one as well. But it's time to level up. It's time to level up. Now, Ezekiel told us that the man <laughs> had a measuring line, and he was measuring the standard. The standard by which, once met, you move to the next level. Did we say that? All of us fall short of that standard. And none of us can level up. But here is the wonderful thing about the God we serve. 
You see, the standard of the 1,000 cubit is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So every time his standard is met and we fall under his protection, you level up. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the standard by which God is going to judge every single one of us. And for all of us have fallen short of his glory, his standard will allow us to level up. And that's what the beauty of faith is. It's saying that I'm not all that, but Jesus is. And when Jesus is the standard that we all can reach, he makes sure that God sees the standard and move you further into the river of his glory. And then you'll be surprised at all the wonderful things that God will make available to you when you level up. Amen? Amen. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.